0: Welcome to the Double Loop Podcast, your source for everything about fingerprints. While you're working on your comparisons, we'll talk about comparisons. I'm Eric Ray. And I'm Glenn Langenberg. So, Glenn, we have an Australian guest here today, which we'll get to here in a minute. But mm-hmm. along those lines, Glenn, how can we sleep when our beds are burning? Oh no, 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 no. When we haven't yet signed up to be a Patreon for the W Loop Podcast on patreon.com slash double loop podcast. Oh, that's Good,
1: that okay. good. Uh, that's good. I how that would song ask goes. you, with a particular phrase, that's not a knife.
0: <laughs> this is a knife. <laughs> no, this is a contribution on Patreon.com. Ah, yes, the knife-shaped contribution. We would appreciate those. Even even the single dollar a month contributions, which is kind of the shape of a knife, of one. Good point. Uh, so, uh, again, we've got uh, extra content uh, almost every week, and access to all of our Backlog Catalog First 100 Episodes to, uh, Patreons, to patrons on patreon.com. Uh, and like Glenn and I mentioned in our previous episode, uh, or a couple episodes ago, you can not only get access to all that stuff being a uh, contributor through Patreon, but you can also, by being one of our superfans, it helps us out. We're looking for people to contribute artwork, uh, contribute by helping manage our Facebook page, fan page kind of thing, or going back and cataloging old episodes, finding stuff in all that kind of stuff. Any kind of way that you, even you come up with and think, you know what, you guys need help in this aspect. Let us know. Provide the help and we can get you access to all that stuff as well. Yeah, and
1: I think a cool thing we're going to be adding here with the sponsored content are things like You and I have been talking about doing uh, some Daubert preparation videos. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For for a Daubert hearing, maybe some transcripts if we can get a hold of some of those, and some presentations that we've used in court for our Daubert hearings and other kinds of testimony, and little training videos and things that we thought would be helpful for examiners.
0: So, uh, another way you can help us out is by just letting other people know about the podcast. Uh, or giving us reviews and ratings on iTunes, Stitcher, other apps where you may listen to the podcast. So here's another review. This is from Marion KP. So thank you, Marion, for writing. uh, W Podcast, interesting from multiple angles. Been loving this podcast. Good to hear the reality of forensics as opposed to the TV version. I'm interested in the specific crime episodes. also found the ones on regulation really interesting. I'm a public servant, so it's interesting to get a glimpse into other countries slash agencies' style of policy. Keep up the good work. No, that's that's really nice. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for that. And this week, big thank you to two new patrons for the Double Loop podcast on Patreon.com. Thank you to Jessica and also to Kim. Thank you very much for your support. So uh, make sure to follow us at double loop pod uh, if you're uh, on Twitter and uh, you can get a lot of updates and find out stuff about our podcast and our little community as it starts growing growing bigger and bigger uh, through that as well. So I think it's time to welcome our guest to the show. Yeah, I love when guests
1: bring wine. this <laughs> is this is great. This is great, uh, Eric. Why don't you introduce our guest because you actually met her first, and I'm meeting you for the first time now. Uh, yes, yeah,
0: so uh, Gianni here uh, uh, kind of reached out to us. We saw a post on and and what was that name again? Gianni. Gianni. How do we spell
1: that?
2: G I A double N I. Yes, and
1: for it's anyone.
0: Ribero. R-
2: Ribero. Yeah, Ribero.
0: R- R- Ribeiro. Yes. Not reberry. Riberi, No, Ribero. Ribero. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is, is this
1: Italian?
2: <laughs> um, my first name is an Italian boy's name. Okay. And my last name is a Portuguese. An Italian girl's name. No, a, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> How confusing. Um, ah, Itali- uh, My last name is Portuguese, but my dad's Portuguese, and my parents are mainly South African, so I'm kind of a bit of everything, I would say.
0: That is a... Geographical hodgepodge. Yeah. It's a it's a modern world, isn't it? Yeah. And you live in Australia, and you go yes. up there, so yes. Uh, and brothers, us <laughs> No, but G- Gianni, we, we kind of got started talking over uh, Twitter. Yes. And um, you mentioned that you're going to be in town, uh, in town in Phoenix uh, over the Thanksgiving holiday, visiting colleagues at Arizona State, and asked if we could meet up and just talk about forensics and fingerprints and. Yeah. Juries and other just—you're a nerd. You're, I'm a you're total a forensic fingerprint nerd.
2: nerd. Yeah,
0: I love it. No, so, that's great. Uh, no, it was great. We you know, got found this this nice little uh, coffee shop uh, near downtown. You got a tour of uh, the crime lab I work at. Yeah. Uh, so now you're you're here with with your group because you're at UC Irvine. Yes. Uh, currently, mm-hmm. and came with a group of those folks to this OSAC conference, and uh, now we're. Kind of settling in from the, for after a long day of work uh, with uh, with again some wine. We got to keep mentioning the wine.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I, I should note it's not good Australian wine. It's a <laughs> wine that my dear friend Nikki Osborne bought from. Whole Foods. (laughs) The
1: Nikki Osborne. The
2: Nikki Osborne. I
1: think we
0: know the Nikki Osborne. (laughs) Who has been a guest here on the show uh, as well, which, of course, that's what she's most known for.
2: Yes, and I think uh, the the reason I found out about Double Loop Podcast. Okay. Although I've listened to some episodes before, but... That kind of brought me into it.
0: We've, we're, we're big in Australia. <laughs> yes. <That's right. laughs> so, uh, Jenny, why don't you start off uh, kind of letting the listeners kind of know a little bit about you, uh, the work that uh, that you do uh, here in UC Irvine, but also back in Australia, and then how you kind of got into this whole forensics realm uh, and and uh, the, the little part of it that, that you're working in. Tell us your life
2: story. Yeah. Sure. So... So I'm a PhD candidate at the University of Queensland, where I work with Jason Tangen and Blake McKimmy. Hmm. And I did my undergraduate degree there in psychological science. And I really, uh, before I went into university, I was really thinking about doing a law degree. I was really interested in law, but I kind of fell into psychology and then really wanted to see where I could apply psychological principles to the law. And
0: well, being a lawyer in Australia, you'd have to wear the whole wig and the robes yeah, and everything. They some, yeah, still do they that do that wear thing?
2: some of that stuff. Okay. Yeah, it's a and, bit and creepy. And if you don't <laughs> mind me
1: interrupting, too, is Jason Tangen your advisor?
2: Yeah, yeah. Okay. He's my uh, primary advisor. And, yeah, and, and we've,
1: we've talked right. a lot about him, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, we've discussed, for listeners, uh, we've discussed the research where he tested lay people and experts, fingerprint experts, and uh, measured error rates between the two. So listeners may be familiar with that research. So, so you're part of that group, yes, which is pretty I, cool.
2: Yeah. So I got into that group by just taking undergraduate courses with him, and I, I really enjoyed those. And so I kind of approached him to do a PhD. He initially said, no, I'm too busy. Uh, but then three months later, came back and said, hey, let's have a chat. Um, so that's how that came about. And so my research focuses mainly on um, lay people's understanding of uh, forensic expert testimony. Hmm. So... Um, and, how, yeah.
1: and, and I think in maybe one other episode, we may even talked about uh, Christy uh, Matari's mm-hmm. research, which I'm sure you're quite familiar with yep. as well, it ties into exactly what it sounds like you're doing too. Exactly. It, it sounds like there's a little bit of a movement in, in Australia yep. right now to explore juror perceptions of forensic evidence.
2: Yes, we actually, um, I'm part of a group with, uh, Christy Matari and, uh, all of those folks, so um, we've called it the Evidence-Based Forensics Initiative. Is oh, I what I like that. Uh, evidence-based.
1: No, that's very nice. Evidence-based.
2: Uh, Elegant. That's one of the things that I think is uh, our kind of trademark for our lab, is evidence-based evidence. Yeah. I really like that yeah, kind yeah, of catchphrase. Yeah,
1: no, I, I like that. Yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's involving uh, Christy Materi, in, who, who deals with, has dealt with, uh, forensic evidence and then gary edmund who's in law and then also right. richard kemp who does more face recognition kind of research oh yeah he's
1: uh, the group I, he's the only one i don't know we've talked about one yep. of edmund's papers too on, yeah on the previous, i remember yeah. the name the there yeah
2: yeah
1: yeah all right so as i know we we got you derail a little bit there okay so mm-hmm. you're part of that group yeah uh, have you started your research
2: Yes, so I'm, I should be finishing up actually, in the next co- uh, year or so. Oh. Yeah. Uh,
1: and you're already writing your, your thesis?
2: Uh, well, it does work a little bit differently in Australia, where we can do uh, more of a thesis by publication type approach. Uh-huh. So gotcha. we don't really have the dissertations as a separate issue, um, which is kind of nice. But I, yes, I am writing up now (laughs) yeah
1: well i mean the main thing is you're you're getting publications out there then yeah yeah Uh, well actually i didn't even know this so uh, tell me one of the papers that you're most proud is is in publication
2: um i wouldn't oh the paper that i'm probably most proud of is something that i'm actually writing up right now so i've been a bit slow to write up the research i have about four or five experiments that are kind of sitting on my computer hard drive that I haven't really written up yet. So I think writing has been my slow part, but I'm really enjoying it now. Mm -hmm. Um, So do you want me to talk about that? Yeah, yeah, would be great. So uh, in that experiment, I think uh, Eric and I talked a little bit about it, not fingerprint related, but I presented a DNA likelihood ratio Mm -hmm. and also manipulated the strength of uh, the defendant's alibi. Okay. Um, The
1: prior effectively.
2: Effectively the prior, yeah. Yeah. So, either with or without the DNA um, likelihood ratio. So, I guess in a sense, actually, um, it wasn't, it's not really the defendant, it's uh, a potential suspect. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, basically, we were looking at the main interest point was. even if an alibi is so strong, let's think that our, our rationale for this experiment was Brandon Mayfield. Yeah, so even if right. his, gotcha. his gotcha. alibi is so strong, he has never left the state of uh, what Oregon. He hasn't traveled to Spain in his life. He has never left the country since, on, been on an overseas trip since 92. That's pretty compelling to think it's probably not this guy. So what would a jury think about that? Even though the Mayfield case never went to trial, how would that play out? And so we uh, compared different strengths of alibi with or without this DNA likelihood ratio. And we were seeing whether um, people were so convinced by this big number that they would ignore this really plausible alibi. Um, And we did find that. We did find that when the alibi was really strong, they they were less likely to say that he was likely to be guilty, um, or did commit the crime, uh, which was a murder scenario. Um, but we did find that, uh, there was a main effect of evidence, which you would expect as well. So having that DNA likelihood ratio bumped people up, they were more likely to say that he was guilty, but, um, we kind of expected a flat line where, where even the people in the really strong alibi would be so convinced by the DNA that, uh, they would, kind of convict based on that but they didn't so i like to think of it as um a study where jurors behave rationally
1: Yeah, I mean, rationally I, <laughs> no i, I love to use that word because i was thinking common sense but that's exactly they actually it sounds like and this is the hope that we all have is that they will behave rationally yes and think about the evidence and think about the context and realize that the government is not perfect and that sometimes we may propose the wrong defendant and that uh, that's great no that, that's Yep. that warms my soul.
2: Exactly. But the caveat here, the <laughs> oh, caveat
1: no, sorry, it's the one. I was going to say it was the, wine.
2: <laughs> the the caveat is that uh we did that experiment uh with a kind of moderately strong likelihood ratio, although depending on which classification it could mean different things, but it was uh 5500 was the number and then we thought, "Hey, let's let's bump it up let's bump it up to 5,500,000 and see what happens and we got the exact same pattern of results so they weren't really different different set of uh, participants but they weren't comparing the two against each other they weren't really sensitive to and, I, and I
1: think this was a finding of Christie's work as well Similarly, that, yes. that that they adjust uh, they, they are in fact I heard her say they do Bayesian reasoning they're just not very good at it.
2: yes exactly yeah so
0: essentially, they're they're hearing that it's a, a DNA match. Mm-hmm. and that There's a number with it, but they they don't they have no context of what that number means. So yes. well, no matter Hard what the adjust. number is, they're just going to to apply that in the case in the same way. In
2: the same way, exactly. Yeah. Even though it's two orders of magnitude yeah. higher than
0: so the is, previous is, one. So is that a problem,
1: is how the statistic is framed, that they don't know what a big number is, that without that relative, so here's a billion, here's one, here's your number, they don't have any sense of mm-hmm. what to do with that number because there is no scale.
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, that's something um, that came up today in OSAC. I'm not sure if you guys were at these. Uh, was the uh proposal for their... Document on Applying Verbal Scales to Likelihood Ratios.
0: SWIGDAM is the DNA group setting policy and standards for the the DNA field in the U.S.
2: Yep. So they were uh, proposing a set of verbal labels for each of the um, likelihood ratio categories, I would just say. They were saying one... Would be a verbal label of uninformative, whereas uh, maybe two to ten would be weak and so on and so forth, and moderate and strong
1: extremely strong, extremely right. strong,
2: etc and uh, one of the things they were explaining in in this meeting was that different labs in different countries also have different verbal labels depending on the numbers, so I mean mm-hmm. a five thousand five hundred in the u s might be moderately strong, and then five thousand five hundred in a different country might be Right. Week or right. something like that. I'm I'm not sure, but that's one issue. Um, but yeah, the mag- order of magnitude is definitely an issue. And Christy has um, done some studies uh, on showing jurors or mock jurors the value in relation to the rest of the scale. There we
1: go. And, and I and I firmly believe. Whatever forensic discipline, I've been preaching this for years, the reports have to show the range of conclusions or the range of magnitude or whatever. So the juror who doesn't even know what the terminology is sees moderate and that there's three more classifications over moderate and two classifications less than that. And they go, "Okay, that's about 40 percent of the way to Hmm. the best. It's somewhere there in the middle that's enough for me i and that they they don't need a level of precision it doesn't matter if it's 10,001 10,020 10,050 nobody cares as long as they get a sense of where it yep. is in relationship to the, the I, other one
2: i definitely agree with that and that's something that came up in the meeting a lot was um that we need this the, the full scale and i i agree it's almost that you like you could put arbitrary um, labels on this, say apple, banana, orange, oh, blah, right, blah, right. blah, as long as you know that apple is
1: Better the weakest ever.
2: Yeah, exactly. Oh, sorry. Or weaker
1: than the banana. Weaker than the
2: banana, yeah. Do you have
1: a preference for bananas?
2: <laughs> no, I actually like apples more, but I was How just, dare you? I was going A, B, C, D. Call <laughs> um, <Whole> but...
1: banana. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so I guess uh, – but but that's kind of something that I find interesting with likelihood ratios in, in that my approach in my research is more to sort of talk about accuracy. And I feel like accuracy could be more on a like 0 to 100% kind of scale, which we're all much more familiar with in our everyday lives. Mm-hmm. As a, a layperson, even though I currently have – the curse of knowledge I'm immersed in this area <laughs> curse of knowledge being that I can't really put myself in the shoes of a juror who doesn't know what I know right. um, I would think that a likelihood ratio of 100 was excellent yeah, I would right. think that is great because I only really function on a 0 to 100 scale
1: uh, it's, it's very true when I, when I talk to lay people and I ask them about forensic science they often give me numbers because I'll, a typical question I'll ask a bartender a waitress or just someone when I'm hanging out at the bar I'll just say what's an acceptable error rate for this kind of discipline or, or DNA? Or And and they usually will tell me things like... That's an interesting question to start off um, I love that. I'll have a beer yeah. and... Yep. What? Just by the way... <laughs> no, I'm... It, if I'm, if I'm killing time, I love asking lay people about this to get their perspective. And they often hear 90%. Like, they think something wow. is really good yeah. at 90%. And then, of course, I would think 999 or whatever. Yeah. Because, I mean, they immediately transfer that to a frequency, which they don't do that. Yeah. And right. so when they hear 90%, that's good enough for them. Mm-hmm. And for a, 1 in 10 would be ridiculous. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I, I, and I think... There's a lot of value to making that transferable to, like you said, an everyday scale that they use... I think you'd run into a little difficulty on the uh, the wings. Yes. Because once you get into ninety nine point nine 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 nine
2: nine, yeah, it gets ridiculous, right?
1: That number doesn't mean anything to them, but again, to scientists, well, one in a hundred thousand is quite different than one in a billion. Mm-hmm. But to them, it's just a nine with a bunch of nines after it. Yeah. And so I think that's where the problem really. Definitely.
2: Lies. Yeah. But that, it's interesting you say that the most of them would say about ninety percent because a lot of people have tried to quantify, and this is another issue for the Colonel. Justice system, what constitutes beyond reasonable doubt? Or what is a reasonable uh, yeah. doubt? And so people have, I guess, I'm not really familiar with this research, but most of what I've read and what my advisors have, have told me is that that typically relates to about 95%. And that is kind of comparable to the scientific literature where yeah, we have, yeah. we arbitrarily set the p value at 0.05, that's 5% potential errors, or we're yeah. 95%. It's it's similar in Yeah, yeah, respect. yeah, it, it is. And I
1: think 90% is one of those things that they think is very human. But you're mm. right. Once they start getting the 95 to 99, they're immediately going to go, well, this is solid. Yeah. But again, for us, 1 in 20, the idea that yeah, I could that be wrong one. 1 in 20. Yeah, <laughs> right.
2: fire that guy. He's terrible. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it, yeah. Exactly. I, it doesn't, it, it is fascinating to me. And I love uh, this whole area of research. So I, I, I appreciate that. Uh, this is something you're going you're to keep doing, too, after you get the PhD. I, what, uh, what are you going to do with it?
2: I think so. I really enjoy it, but um, I really enjoy working with forensic practitioners as well, forensic examiners. So um, the, the majority of my lab, so Jason Tangen, Matt Thompson, and Rachel Searston, uh they've worked on uh, expertise and um, have gotten a grant very recently to work on training and so that involves you know testing actual examiners and being involved with examiners and I I like that I think jury jury perception research is messy and it's hard yeah. and I'm not saying that testing you guys is easy but um I think I enjoy it more I like being immersed in in the discipline I enjoy being here like I I'm not really supposed to be in the friction ridge subcommittee but I just barged in today and I I like just listening and I I think that I would like to move more towards that yeah. um but I I mean I I enjoy testimony stuff it's fun and it's interesting and it's a big issue that I think sometimes gets a little bit overlooked but but I think I'm I, I'll do anything in forensic science I'm I'm pretty sold on forensic science that's
0: pain. This week's episode of the Double Loop Podcast is brought to you by Go Evidence Forensic Laboratories, a full service independent forensic laboratory that specializes in the development of latent fingerprint evidence. They serve law enforcement, private parties, corporations, private investigators, prosecution, and defense cases. Go Evidence is committed to providing the highest standards of excellence with the most advanced technology available in the industry. Their experienced staff, all certified latent print examiners, is ready to work with you on any criminal or civil investigation your direct source to vacuum metal deposition technology. They can process your cold case evidence with VMD. They provide sales, service, and training. Brian and Scott are passionate about the technology and always enjoy the chance to talk about the capabilities of VMD, VMD systems, consumables, and tips on maximizing the process. Uh, Research into VMD. The standard turnaround time for most cases is only two weeks, and consultations are always free. GoEvidence.com. Well, in our previous conversation, you had mentioned that uh, one agency down in Australia is really involved uh, with with your group yes. in being kind of guinea pigs into mm-hmm. whatever crazy experiment you yeah. guys come up with. Yeah. Uh, that's I mean that is a special and um, rare. a special rela- rare relationship. Yeah. that I really think should be duplicated more t- more across the world.
2: I agree. It took us. And when I say us, I really shouldn't. It's Matt and Jason. It took them literally ten years to uh, build that collaboration. So Matt started his PhD with Jason, and really wanted to focus on a forensic expertise, but they just wouldn't—they wouldn't let them in. Uh, and this is
0: the. Uh, Queensland yes. police?
2: I think so, yes. Okay. But um, now we've kind of built a really good relationship with it. I think our strongest relationship is with them because I think it's when when they realize that you're not trying to expose them and trying to expose uh, that they're making errors and, you know, we shouldn't trust this. We're just genuinely interested in can you do what you're claiming to do and how well and where how can we push the limits of your expertise in in a way... I think in a way that's kind of empowering. Like we're, we're, we're making these experiments and I can show you some later that look ridiculous to me. I don't know. You guys would probably just say, no way. I can't, can't do that. That's ridiculous. Um, but they're, they're willing to sit down and do it. And I mean, we have a few people that kind of object to it, but I think generally, uh, generally they know that we're trying to understand more and, Help improve forensic science rather than expose forensic yeah, yeah, science. Yeah, yeah.
1: That's, that is a that's yeah. a strong mission, and 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 you're right. They paved a lot of ground first, and that, that's so helpful. Um, and you know, I think of you know the FBI and these other other folks who have yeah. done you know similar things. It ten years ago, it was difficult to do this research. <laughs> that's when I was starting my PhD, mm-hmm. and I was very lucky to get buy-in. But I have buy-in because I was a practitioner. Right. Yes. You did it's it, totally right.
2: different for us.
1: It's hard I, coming in from I, the outside.
2: I'm not trying to talk my lab up to the listeners, but I don't really know any other lab that has that kind of buy-in with yeah. with practitioners. This this linkage grant that we have now has every single major agency in Australia signed on.
0: That's amazing. To yeah. for
2: us to test. We travel and test them. Um, and we also have NIFS, so the National mm-hmm. um, Institute for Forensic Science, on board, and, um, yeah, to develop training, training, the best training methods. And
0: Well, speaking of, of traveling, mm-hmm. um, I mean, you're, all this talk about Queensland, 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 mm-hmm. you're up here you UC Irvine. Yes. And you've been traveling around the United States mm-hmm. uh, for the past, how many months now?
2: Uh, it's been about five months. Five months, yeah. okay.
0: And you've seen a lot of people, talked to a lot of people about all sorts of forensic-y stuff. Yeah. Uh, So how how did you get up here to the U.S., to UC Irvine, and can you tell us about some of these uh, meetings you've been to, groups you've talked to, and what you've kind of learned and explored here in the U.S.?
2: Sure. Uh, So what I did was I uh, kind of... Followed the footsteps of Matt, my academic brother, and I applied for an Endeavour Fellowship. So it's an Australian scheme, fellowship scheme that's kind of like um, the Fulbright fellowship mm-hmm. scheme, which yeah, people okay. probably know more about. Um, so uh, it's uh, four to six months towards your PhD somewhere else. And so when you apply, you apply to a specific university to a specific person to a specific project, which is what my PhD is. Um, And my advisor, Jason Tangin said, I think you should go to Bill Thompson. And so I basically wrote up my application and contacted him and said, hey, can I come over? And he said, sure, no problem. And yeah, here I am at UC Irvine, but my time's coming to an end now, which is kind of sad. Uh, but, yeah, it's given me an opportunity to not only be at UC Irvine with the amazing people there, so um, Bill Thompson, Simon Cole, and Beth Loftus, uh, mm-hmm. three of the main ones to, to speak of. But oh, all...
1: and, and the question I always ask, what does Simon Cole eat for lunch?
2: <laughs> Wait, I what? wouldn't know, I've never actually. heard you ask that question I before. Did I did. I asked
1: Nikki that question. Oh, okay.
2: I, didn't re- I don't remember that, but uh, I have not been to lunch with Simon. I have only been to dinner No, I know, to but does he bring a Simon. brown
1: bag to lunch? I'm does sure. Does he bring like a little, a thermo, you know, insulated container? Well, he
2: rides, he rides his bike to work. So okay. so when we this went is to... new information.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. So
2: uh, when we met at Beth's house, which is where I've seen Simon the most, we always go to Beth Loftus' place for a bit of wine before dinner. Uh, he kind of walks in the front door with his helmet and little satchel and oh sorry I'm late I rode my bike over here so I think he's I commend him a lot he's a pretty active dude
1: yeah okay Yeah. All right. a lot of respect for Get, Simon just getting a, getting a picture yes
0: <laughs>
2: Yeah,
1: but, I want to know if he has PB and J in yeah,
2: that
0: little me too. I mean, I took him to lunch for our interview uh, to the Cornish pasty, which I don't think I've taken you to. I've been, I've have, been, I've been. been. Okay. It's delicious. It's I want to go there. It looks really good. It's really good. <laughs> that was one of the places I suggested that we could go. I know. You chose coffee instead. I'm sorry, oh, but okay.
2: uh, Nikki and I were meant to go there, but we didn't make it.
0: Well, in any case, uh, so what's one of the places that you've traveled to, kind of group that you met that uh, kind of... It was interesting or informative about all the research that you're doing.
2: Sure. Uh, so where have I been to first? I was at UC Irvine. I went to uh, New York and I went to the Innocence Project and I met with mm-hmm. their research and development team. Oh, yeah. And that was yeah. really great. Um, they're a fantastic bunch of people. Told them a lot about what our lab's doing and they told us about what they're doing. Uh, that was great. Um, met... Uh, mainly lawyers, I suppose, which is weird for me, but, uh, I've kind of been immersed in a little bit of law lately. I taught a psychology and law class at UQ, um, but I met Brandon Garrett at, oh, who yep. recently moved to Duke Right. and we had a bit of a chat there, um... Uh, Bobby Spellman as well, just after the podcast that you guys released.
0: Where <laughs> no, no, we trash her paper? No, we yeah. we said some good things and some bad things. we, no, we, we critically yeah. reviewed it. There you go. Yeah,
2: but uh, we had we we talked about that. But I think one of the like kind of nuances of that podcast is that she is very, and I mean very, very, very tongue in cheek. So mm-hmm. like most of the things are just her like over overstating and her her titles and things are very tongue in cheek Uh, if you even look at her twitter she is she will call a spade a spade she is just she is brutal and I love it (laughs) she is great but um so
0: she could take it
2: oh oh yeah she loved it she I I tagged her in the podcast and she said she texted me saying Oh, thanks so much. I'm listening to her now. It's great. <laughs> so, you know, like that's the kind of person you want, right? You don't, you don't, you, you want to make people, you want to sort of talk about people that will critically, you'll critically engage with them. Right. They'll critically engage with you. And, Absolutely. you know, it might start a big thing. Whereas, you know, some people can be very defensive about that stuff. And then it's kind of like, you're the enemy and you're the enemy and you'll never talk again or read each other's papers. <laughs> no,
1: it's, 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 it's re- no it's refreshing. no it is. it's is
2: refreshing yeah. to hear. Well, that, no, it, she's great. Yeah. Uh yeah, her and then I came to Phoenix and uh oh no, before Phoenix I went to um uh St. Louis, which I never, which I thought was a city I would never really like plan to like wander around. But um for those of you listening who enjoy making a murderer, uh the two lawyers, the two main lawyers from the first season, Dean Strang and Jerry Buting, they've started a center for integrity in forensic sciences, and they had their first kind of uh, public event, so their first mm-hmm. symposium on that. And so I went there and met with them and uh, Keith Findley, who's at um, University of Wisconsin, and Bradley Balco was also there. Um, and a bunch of other people who were on the PCAST report and um, in CSafe and things like that. And that was a really enlightening kind of moment as well. Um, but I think in stark contrast to OSAC, which is which is really great. So yeah, so I was there and then I came to Phoenix, met with Eric at coffee and toured the crime lab, uh, met with my ASU um, friends who are kind of dabbling in forensic science. So they've... Uh, they, ASU they have a uh, little forensic science uh, kind of group, kind of similar to our evidence based forensics initiative, but mainly within ASU. So I think there's a couple of people on faculty in biology and DNA kind of evidence that are uh, on faculty at ASU, and so they've just very recently started. Do a they
1: group. do like case reviews or post conviction stuff? Or no,
2: I don't think so. It's mainly kind of research, but they they're really just starting up at the moment, so. Yeah um so I met with them and uh, went back to UC Alvine and now I'm at OSac.
0: so with OSac uh, mm-hmm. you said you sat in um, with a little bit of our conversation this afternoon with the yeah. church Ridge subcommittee mm-hmm. uh, you've kind of bounced through some other subcommittees but you're mainly here for the uh, human, factors. human factors yes uh, committee yeah um, so I'm just I'm just now really curious this is your first time being at any kind of OSac event. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just kind of curious of what you've seen, what you've learned, uh, what surprised you. Yeah. Uh, uh, OSAC is... It's been going for a few years now, mm-hmm. so it's kind of built up some steam. And yeah. there's there's stuff moving forward. It, it's kind of slow in some areas. But what, uh, what are your kind of impressions of all the discussions and all the people and all the interactions that you've seen so far?
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, so when I... <laughs> This will seem off track, but when I book an Airbnb and then at the end when I check out, I get an email and then I'm asked to sort of rate uh, how it met my expectations. Did it meet my expectations, or, or was it above my expectations? Or how? I think Osaka, if I had to rate it, would be highly above my expectations, oh, wow. okay. which uh, which is great. Uh, I think mainly because there's, there's been a lot of chat this year, I'm not sure about previous years, on likelihood ratio. So Hal Stern gave a talk um, on that. And there, as we mentioned before, there was a Swigdam meeting about their proposed verbal scale substitute. Um, so there's been a lot of talk about that, which is mainly one of the areas I'm interested in with my research. And I I was expecting everyone to be very gung-ho likelihood ratio- there's no nothing better and we should be doing it now. But everyone seems to not really feel that way and they seem to understand the fact that many as Hal likes to say, it's probably not coming to a forensic discipline near you anytime soon. <laughs> and I think that's true, right? I mean what what else do we expect Handwriting examiners or blood stain pattern analysts to do to just pull a number out of thin air, I think that is dangerous. And so um, I think it it really settled my anxiety about potentially some disciplines, not specifically those, but some disciplines putting a number on something where they don't really have the data. The data to,
0: yeah. Also, that's interesting because. Um, I mean, just being around the field for so many years, there's this uh, I don't know stereotype of forensic practitioners that are very resistant to likelihood ratios, yes. except for the the gold standard of DNA, mm-hmm. which they don't likelihood ratios. They do yeah know, random match probabilities, but still anyway. Uh, but uh, you had this expectation that that coming in that everyone was going to be like. Let's do this, yeah. and, and just kind of jump it blindly, or in. or at
2: least the statisticians. And I feel like uh, even the statisticians were very mild about it, or saying from a statistical perspective, this is the best approach, but it's not going to. Ha- it's realistically, it's not going to happen anytime soon. We 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 should be working towards this, but in the meantime, yeah. But I have to say. There hasn't really been any conversation about what, at least from what I've heard, about what should happen in the meantime, okay. and so that's something I'm a little bit more interested to explore in the next two days that we're here.
0: Well, with with our most of our listening audience being focused in the the, the friction ridge, the fingerprint uh, field, mm-hmm. uh, any thoughts from this afternoon's meeting of of uh, of uh, the things that we kind of hashed out and. And you know, we're not, we can't necessarily get too specific into you know, what we're dealing with with the, you know, the closed-door meetings and everything. Yep. But, uh, but just kind of impressions in, in the, the Friction Ridge sp- specifically, uh, things that we're trying to work out and work through. And before you answer that
1: question, I'll let you think about your answer. Sure. Well, a quick shout-out to our sponsors. And uh, we'd like to thank Idemia for sponsoring this episode, Idemia the Global Leader in Augmented Identity. Uh, They've launched a new product called Case APHIS. It's a portable latent print examination tool supported by the full power of Idemia's flagship MBIS matching algorithms. It's totally standalone. doesn't need to connect to your main APHIS or internet. No security firewall, sieges permission. It's a standalone APHIS on a laptop. Case APHIS enables latent print examiners to solve complex and difficult cases faster by searching latent prints collected at a crime scene against known prints on a case-by-case basis this tool will improve your casework efficiency and reduce erroneous exclusions, and I think we all want that. I have one. I use it. It's great. It's a time saver. It's efficient, and you should learn more about Idemia and KSafis by contacting us at info.usa at Idemia, that's I-D-E-M-I-A, dot com. Solve your cases faster today with KSafis. All right. Well, Gianni, did you think of your answer? And it better sure. be good because I gave you a big time to, to think about it.
2: You sure did. I, I impressed me. I really enjoyed. So I walked in. I, I literally, for those listening, just barge my way into this meeting. So I opened the door. I'm, I'm late. And I just walk in and I sit down. Everyone kind of gives me a stare for a second like, who is this? And then goes back to their business of...
1: I think I leaned over to Eric and said, who the F is that? <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, battling it out. They, it, I I think, I guess, as a caveat, I've really only been in human factors while I've been here in, in that subcommittee. But I feel like you guys really have been passionate about what you're doing and passionate about the conversations and really um, sort of battling out the opinions. And um, yeah, it's been really great to see that happening and everyone's so engaged
0: that's the the, the you got to see some battles today it, like different topics will come up and then there's there's you know, sides are drawn, and, mm. and you know, you, a line in the sand. Yeah, exactly, and then, the
2: line in the sand is there. And then there's—I I, I don't even know how many votes there were today, but there were there were many, many votes about well, various yeah,
0: you, things. You you come charging out, and you know, you swing your sword a few times, and they come back swinging at you with other, you know, uh, opposing viewpoints. And and then you know, people are swayed from one side to the other. Mm-hmm. It's a very very combative situation, yeah. but. But also very, everyone's so close and familial yes. and, and everything at the same time. Uh, and then you know, votes are taken, and then things are moved forward, and mm-hmm. then the next topic comes up. Yeah, was that surprising? Was that encouraging? Like, what what are your thoughts on on how we kind of battle out this, no pun intended, minutia of our of our field. <laughs> Uh, the, all these just little things that... Uh, w- does it seem like we're just quibbling over th- stuff that doesn't even matter? Or do you, do you see... Do you understand the importance of the argument?
2: Oh, yes. I. Some of those th- debates were very, very interesting. I mean, this is probably one that I can mention, is uh, the debate about kind of what terminology we should use for comparing a latent to a known is it a sample is it an impression is it a Mm -hmm. i don't know what other terminology were thrown out there but really it's like it, it makes sense that we need to be consistent throughout those documents otherwise you're looking at the evaluation document and you're saying oh they're comparing something to a impression but in the uh, comparison document right. or the uh, consultation document they're looking at a sample like what is that different or is that the same so that that's definitely an issue but I definitely sympathize with the fact that you make a judgment early on and you kind of push a document through and then you maybe decide later on oh that may not have been the best terminology for that because you're dealing with these documents in different chunks so yeah. at the analysis stage it might be fine to talk about a sample or an impression, but then later on it might be better to be talking about it in a, in a different light. And so I definitely sympathize with that and it's hard to sort of go back and change your thinking. But, but at the same time, I feel like this is kind of, uh, even though that that's a wide sort of ranging opinion, we, and I shouldn't say we, you are kind of more of a homogenous group who, who kind of understands that a sample kind of means an impression, and an impression kind of means it. Like, you're not talking about something completely different. Maybe a little bit different, but not directly different.
1: Yeah, and, you know, you you said, you know, you all. In of, <laughs> this was actually my first OSAC meeting.
2: Yes, yeah. yeah. So,
1: um, and I, I had not talked about this on any previous one, so this is all brand new, and I hadn't told anyone other than Eric. But a couple weeks ago, I got a call asking if I would come to the meeting and if I was interested in sitting uh, in on the SAC, which is sort of the, uh, just a, over the different subcommittees, so pattern evidence, and I, initially I was, no, I'm not sure, but uh, they talked me into it and said, you yeah, know, just come check it out, and so I, I'm here for my first time, too, hmm. seeing how this is going, and, and I was on SWEG Fast for 10 years, and it reminds me a lot of SWEG Fast. and I love these people, the professionals. And yet some of the the same things haven't changed. (laughs) And today, you know, same arguments that we had 10 years ago are happening today. Yeah. And and one of the things that drives me a little crazy, and, and, you know, Henry was chairing the group and did a Mm -hmm. great job doing that, managing that, is what does the science dictate? But then you get people digging in going, well, our agency, and it becomes very agency driven because they, they look at it from their perspective of well, if we write that in there, we have to change what we do.
2: Yes. Yeah. They're that very what you personally invested. Like, yes. yeah, we, oh, what are you talking about? Of course we do that. Of course we say where this comes from. But the other people are saying, that doesn't matter. What are you talking about? So it's you've got the battle between these guys who don't want to, yeah not do that anymore and these guys right. who don't want to start doing that right
1: so right and and then it's got to come back to what does the science require yes and and as you saw there are so many things and sometimes you get derailed on well you know the courts are asking for this or this one case decision or this agency does it this way or if we change we don't have the personnel to do that mm-hmm. And I, I realize that it's a very complicated thing, but again, these are often best practices that are trying to be written, so yep. it should be the science driving it. Yeah. But at the same time, and, and this was brought up today, if you make a standard that no one can meet or it would bring the whole house of cards down, then what value is it? Because everyone will just ignore it. So I mean, it's, it's a very difficult balance to find in there and get just the right requirement.
2: I agree, and it's really interesting to see this in Friction Ridge because DNA sort of understands what they're doing, and then Friction Ridge kind of understands what they're doing, and they have these validation studies, and they have a lot of science has been invested in them after DNA, but I I can't imagine, and I would be interested to see what's happening in the other subgroups because...
1: Mm. I've sat in (laughs) NN, (laughs) though. It was... Oh, so interesting.
2: Yeah, I listened into a debate uh, the night before OSAC started on um, the, in the handwriting group, and that was super interesting. Mm,
1: very yeah. much so. That was one of the groups I did have a yeah, chance to do Yeah, yeah. Um,
2: debating about, and this is not something that, that Fingerprints has to think about, but right. um, whether they should look at the questioned signature before the knowns, which would make sense in a contextual bias kind of way. We should look at the question before we look at the knowns. But there's an interesting counter argument to that. Whereas like if we have multiple knowns, we should be kind of learning the style of that person and then looking at the questioned, and that also makes sense to me. I mean, a lot of psychological mm. literature would also say, you know, like learn the style of this, and you can kind of evaluate that. But no, then I can you see are... that
0: point because if you look at the known first and learn that first, then when you start looking at the knowns, you can find a known that more matches that, mm. rather than have this general idea of what all the knowns look like in the aggregate, yeah. and then checking that kind of. Average signature yeah. of all the knowns against the, the yeah. unknown.
2: Yeah, uh, I can
0: see that at least as a an. Arg- I'm not just saying I necessarily agree yes. with it, but I can see that argument being put forward.
2: Yeah, I agree. Um,
0: well, it, the pattern disciplines are so diverse mm-hmm. that it, it really is a challenge to putting them all underneath the same umbrella, where where certain strategies or, or solutions don't necessarily fit for all of them.
2: Yeah that's very true
0: so I know this is an interview for Gianni but I I do want to to explore a little bit more on your initial impressions of of OSAC Um, is this something that you're Glenn going to think about pursuing more or uh, I will think about pursuing more Okay. (laughs) and are you in general this goes all the way back to when we were making fun of the GGs uh, (laughs) we we were making fun (laughs) of the GGs thank
1: god they changed that but I'd like to think that we had some
0: absolutely some, some influence. influence absolutely yeah. We we I think we got confirmation right I got confirmation the other night that they uh, that they actually heard that episode before before oh, really? uh, changing there. I think they might oh, yeah. have okay. All right. uh, yeah, sure some of the guys uh, uh, up up higher up in the, in the OSEC organization uh, but uh, any in general encouraging things. Troubling things that you've seen so far in your your first couple days down here in the OSAC world? Well, I mean, not... Yeah. Yes and no. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I mean, it's definitely much more bureaucratic
1: than... Mm. Swigs. uh, ...than swigs were. I mean, the swigs had this autonomy, and those swigs that had the right makeup and chemistry of the groups could be really productive and get stuff out. Right. All the layers... And I, and I don't even know all the, the acronyms yet, but all these yeah. layers and all the influence and comments from all the different groups, which is making it very multidisciplinary, mm. but is also, I mean, really is bogging down the process. And, I, and I've heard a lot of frustrated people talking about getting a document all the way through <laughs> everything, getting it up to the final stages, and then having the whole thing just kick back and shred it apart. That must be so frustrating. I mean, I... I that was not the issue with split I And mean, once it went through the group, it was out to the community.
2: Right. Right. That's interesting because that's one of the things that sitting on human factors that I'm noticing. I'm going to you guys and I'm seeing you talk about documents in progress and seeing you really battle it out in the subcommittee. But then when it comes to us and by us, I'm not really on the committee, but I'll just say right. that for brevity um, it comes to us. And then also legal resources and um, quality Uh, and then our comments and other people's comments. And then it's like one month and then it goes back to you. And then, so that back and forth, it just feels kind of slow and bureaucratic. I, I totally agree. So it's, yeah, it's interesting.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's a big difference from the swigs to, you know, to this one. But at the same time, I'm hopeful that the product will be stronger because you will have Yeah. I mean, you already have the the critics, so to speak, already uh, you know voicing off on, and the legal community already giving their input in human factors and mm-hmm. so that way it doesn't go out and then just get shredded by those groups. Yes, it should theoretically have that buy-in.
2: Yes, yeah.
0: strong the strength because it's been it's been tested in fire.
2: Agree in yeah.
0: this process before going out to the
2: world. I mean to put it in context, I'm. It was interesting for me to be in the lineup for coffee, and then Simon Cole was there, and I said, oh, hey, Simon, what are you doing? What um, was he having for lunch? Uh. I don't know. He was having coffee, probably. <laughs> Damn, I don't know. Well, he's coffee.
0: We got coffee down. I'm not sure why I'm interested now or in Maybe this, he but... was
2: drinking tea. I don't know. Oh, I can't see? be sure. Oh,
1: All right, we got, we got to figure this out.
2: But he said, oh, yeah, I, I'm a recent new member of the Friction Ridge group, and that kind of... I mean, I was really happy to hear that, but it's like, hey, one of your kind of almost biggest critics is now in this OSAC group. Right. And so I think it's clear that there's a lot of things going on with between the subcommittees and the resource committees and the SACs. But I, ultimately, I think I agree with you. Everyone is involved. So it, no one can really contest the end product yeah. at the end of the day.
0: Except there is no end product. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> that, hopefully that will be. Yeah, Fingers we're crossed. We're <laughs> there. Right. Well, it was
0: really interesting now having Simon as a part of this group. Yes. Because in the middle, we would sometimes turn to Simon of this middle of this whole big old discussion about this little nuance of, of of extra documentation in this little area. And he'd be like, why do you guys care?
2: Yeah.
0: Like, like this little nuance, Doesn't as,
2: matter. As, as,
0: in my position as, as a critic, as a, an outsider... It doesn't seem to matter as much as these other things.
2: Which you are not focusing on as much. In my opinion, I felt at at some points, maybe I should have actually said something during the meeting, but I felt like some of the things that you were really debating about weren't really, from the broader perspective, necessary, but then other things that you were like, oh, yeah, let's table that and talk about it later. We don't know. That's not that important. And I was like, that that actually... that maybe matters to us right so
0: i mean simon's just just joined and um and i've just kind of rejoined as an affiliate member on the friction ridge uh, subcommittee uh but i I already see uh, simon making our group stronger Mm. so that's great yeah Yep. now and and i do look forward to the final product because i think
1: it, it will be it's time. I mean, the Fast documents are ten, twelve years mm-hmm. old, and we need something a little newer. And we,
0: the community, needs that direction and those standards to point to. Absolutely. All right. Well, Johnny, thank you so very much for for joining us this evening, for bringing us the wine, <laughs>
2: um,
0: for uh, uh, for just you know uh, being a part of, of this group here at OSAC, but also uh, you know, being a part of our show and and sharing your passion. I mean, well, you, yeah. you yeah. you you
1: just effuse uh, passion for forensic science, learning and education and research. It just comes right off of you.
2: For well, sure, like and any practitioners out there, like I would love to talk, I I would love to talk to you over email. I have a few practitioners I haven't met yet, but just talking about it and emailing about it and getting involved, I I would love your input and um, to collaborate with more of you guys. so please reach out. That's
0: cool. So well if you're interested in that, how can how can examiners or other people passionate about forensic science get a hold of you?
2: Sure. Um, so if you're interested in our um, in our recent grant where we're working on training with the Australian uh, fingerprint bureaus, you can follow us at uh, on Twitter at@. at create expertise so the the project is creating perceptual experts so you can follow us up at create expertise Um, and if you want to get in contact with me my twitter is at gianni so that's g-i-a-n-n-i underscore ribero so that's r-i-b-e-i-r-o or you can email me um, my email is g dot r-i-b-e-i-r-o at UQ.edu.au. And
0: uh, you can always email Glenn and I. For and sure. we can forward stuff on to Gianni yes. so you guys can really get into content. I
2: know my last name is really hard to <laughs> spell and pronounce, so I, I totally oh, understand I, that.
0: I know it. I've lived with that problem my whole life of having the last name. That's just so difficult. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> well, and the double loop is now following create expertise
2: for sure i'm so happy about that
1: (laughs) and and, uh, i'd like to just uh, let listeners know uh, if you're interested in some classes coming up in 2019 go to ronsmithandassociates.com i'm teaching a uh, advanced V class in hackensack new jersey that's april 8th through 12th and then teaching a joint class with john and i where we switch off he does a few days i do a few days Understanding exclusion and sufficiency decisions. That's in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. That's April 29th to May 3rd. And then lastly, a new one that was added was another ACEV class, and that is in Dulles, Virginia, in the Washington, D.C. area. That is July 22nd to July 26th. It's gonna be a busy year,
0: and I'm happy about that. And if you're interested in uh, my exclusionology class, exclusionology research and exercises Uh, that's coming up uh, April 8th through 10th in Hollywood Florida Uh, so you can go to rayforensics.com to sign up for that Uh, also that same week gyro and Photoshop will be the 11th and 12th of April also in the same location so you can sign up for one class both the whole week with me uh, which is you know ideal obviously uh, and again you can get all that kind of information there. Uh also got some more classes coming up this uh this next year. that are it's gonna be on the schedule soon, so check back often for more information on that. So uh like Glenn said, follow us at double loop pod, email us Glenn at elite dot com, Eric at rayforensics.com. How do you spell that?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's a tough one. Uh, listen to new episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. You can download those apps or go right to those websites or just whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. Uh, you can uh, sign up uh, and subscribe to us on there and also leave us reviews and ratings on, on those groups. And, and uh, who knows, maybe you'll be lucky enough to have us read off your review live on the air. Uh, also, consider contributing uh, as a super fan, and contact us over email if you want to do that or just go to patreoncom podcast for a monetary contribution for all that extra content and just to support your favorite podcast. So with all that, uh, remember the opinions expressed us. Yeah, uh, <laughs> us. Uh, with all that ex- uh, remember the opinions expressed here belong to those speaking and to no uh, one else and with that, talk to you guys next time. Bye everybody, have a good week.
2: Bye.